Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Father, we pray now as we come to your word, that you would grant every grace not only to listen to your word, but to live your word. And that as we live your word, that it would be for our good and for the good of others and for your glory. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If it's your first Sunday with us, we've been walking through First Peter chapter 3. And uh, one of our associate pastors, Kevin, actually preached last week while my family was on fall break. And... I made him stop at this text because I didn't want him to upset Laura. So uh, I wanted to be able to, to wrestle with this and, uh, and to share it. And as you have your Bible, I actually want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 because I want us to get a good running start at 1 Peter. And uh, there are a few books between Ephesians and 1 Peter, so we'll have a good start at that. Uh, but Ephesians 5 in particular... And I do want to make one announcement. Rook actually texted while we were in the service and said that uh, within the next week or two, they are going to take teams to Florida as well. He's going to come back here and be here a week, and then probably following that, we'll head down to Florida. And so if you'd be interested or available to help with Eight Days of Hope and uh, to go with Rook to Florida, we'll let you know all those details once they're, they're there. But I wanted to pass that on to you. Uh, as you're turning and finding Ephesians 5, let me say this to you. When people look at our homes and look at our marriages in particular, they should not have to guess about the gospel. So when people look at our homes and our marriages in particular, they should not have to guess about the gospel. When our children look at our marriages, they of all people should not have to guess about the gospel. Instead, they should see not perfect, but hopefully grace-fueled progress and our imaging Christ and his church as we interact as a husband and wife. Those that we're discipling, those that are around us, they will probably never see us perfectly image Christ in the church until Christ comes for us. But I do hope they see our progress and grace-fueled, gospel-driven progress of imaging Christ and his church in our homes. If you're in Ephesians 5, there are three truths that in every premarital counseling session I do, I, I share this, and in every marriage, every uh, wedding, I share three truths that, that marriage is from God, marriage is for God, and that marriage is by God. And we'll, we're, we're going to start with the marriage is for God. In Ephesians 5, Paul says this in verse uh, 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
And so he quotes from Genesis, the plan that, that God gave in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And, and he says, look, this is the plan that a man would leave his wife, leave, not leave his wife, leave his mom and dad and come together with his wife and they would form a new family. Don't leave your wives. Don't go home. Don't tweet that. All right, but uh, that we would leave our mom and dad, which is a struggle for some young men in our day, it seems, uh, to do this, but to, to form that family unit and then the purpose would be that it would be a display of Christ and his church. This is why same-gender marriages aren't biblical. Because you cannot have a picture of Christ and his church if you have two men or two women. It doesn't work out in the way that God intended marriage to be a display for something. And so it only works as you have a man who is imaging Christ and a woman who's imaging the church. That's why there's a need for a man and a woman that is in that marital union. Well, you say, well, I don't like that. That's okay. You don't have to like it because marriage isn't from you. Marriage is from God. So God created it. God gets to say what it is and he gets to determine the roles. So marriage is for him. But now look back in Ephesians 5. Look at what it says in verse 22. Some of you wives, you have this memorized. It's your favorite verse. Perhaps you have a tattoo of it somewhere. It says in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So our marriages are to be a picture of Christ in the church, and God determines the roles that are given. He says this is what a wife should do in the home and this is what a man should do, a husband should do in the home. And in the same way, we didn't create the church. We don't have the right to say, what do I want church to be? We have the responsibility to see what God says church is and tenaciously line up with that from his word. In the same way, I don't get to say, what do I want marriage to be? God has put in his word what marriage is to be and these different roles. And we don't work from the world back to the word. We work from the word out to the world to understand what we are called to do and be. And so he gets to give the different responsibilities. And in the home, he has called men to be godly, sacrificial leaders and women to be godly, supporting helpers that they would come along. What does it mean, biblical manhood, especially being a husband? Well, it means initiation, not domination. And it means primary responsibility, but not sole responsibility. So what that means is that when Adam and Eve sinned, God came and he used a very singular plural to Adam, holding Adam most responsible for all that had occurred in the garden. Adam was the one to whom he'd given the instructions. Adam then was to give those to Eve. God did not give the instructions to both of them. He gave them to Adam when it was just Adam who was there. Adam was to be a good leader who led and washed his wife with the word. And so then she was to come along and help that. And when that all went awry, God comes and he comes and he asks a very singular you to Adam, what happened? What happened? So men, you will give an account for your family and you will not have sole responsibility. Our wives have 
responsibility and, and portions in this, but we will have primary responsibility for all that's going on in our marriages and in our homes. And so God gives these roles that the man is to be the head and the wife is to submit. So little sisters in the room, one of the most important questions you need to ask is not, is he cute? Not, does he have two eyebrows and not a unibrow? Not, do I like his mama? That is a very important question because she comes with the deal. The most important question you need to ask if you are a single little sister in the room, do I want to follow this guy's lead because he's following Christ's lead? Because God is calling you to follow the lead of this guy. And that is a lot easier if this guy is following Christ's lead. If that guy is not following Christ's lead, little sisters in the room, I wouldn't follow him to Walmart. All right? If he is not following the leadership of Christ, do not waste your time. Little brothers, above all, your job is to lead them in Christ, to flourish in Christ for the purpose of Christ. And so God gives these roles. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a moment. But again, as we see this word uh, submission, it's initiation, not domination. And we see it even in the Trinity. When Jesus was here, who did he constantly point back toward? Anyone know? The Father, right. And who is it that has sent the Spirit? It is the Father and the Son who sent the Spirit. And the Spirit is empowering us, hopefully today, to make much of Christ, right? But the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they're equal, but they have different responsibilities in our salvation and in how they operate together. And so to say that one is a head and one is a helper doesn't mean that they aren't equal in the most important ways. We'll see that they are in our text in 1 Peter 3. But it does mean that we have different responsibilities that God has called us to. How many of you found that being a wife who submits is not easy? Don't be afraid to raise your hand. Some of you did it joyfully. Good. I'm surprised that one on the front row wasn't the first one up. All right. How many of you found as husbands, it's very difficult to love your wife as Christ loved the church? How many of you found that, that sacrificing is difficult when all you want to be is selfish at home sometimes? All right. Uh, I didn't know how selfish I was till God granted a wife and four children and a church. <laughs> I would encourage all of you, if you're struggling in your sanctification, get married, have kids, and be a pastor. And so uh, the Lord will show you, not cause you to be, he will show you what's already in your heart. That was why I, I think I entered into depression for about two weeks when I found out Alistair was on the way. I already knew how selfish I was with three, you know. I was like, God, aren't we, aren't we good? Aren't we working this out already? And he's like, no, you need a fourth to put this over the top to break you, boy, you know, and for your joy. And so, <laughs> uh, and so uh, the bottom line is, if this is all we had this morning, man, we are all hopeless. We should go out of here depressed. But I'm so thankful that before Ephesians 5.22 comes Ephesians 5.18. Look back at 5.18. It says this, do not get drunk with wine. This is at the grove. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the command in the text. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Because there's a lot of crazy stuff in our day. There are people who bark like dogs and roll on the ground and like the Spirit is filling me. That is a Spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit, right? God doesn't God doesn't leave us to guess. You'd say, uh, when the Spirit, man, when the Spirit's here, I get goosebumps. Look, I get goosebumps when the AC turns on in my office. That is not the Holy Spirit, right? Man, when the Spirit's moving, I get fuzzies. Taco Bell gives me fuzzies, okay? 
You give me a large Mountain Dew, I got fuzzies, all right? And so, you know, what do we mean by the Spirit? Thankfully, God doesn't leave us to guess about it. He gives us four participles, right? There you go, children. That's the word you were wanting this morning. Addressing one another, verse 19, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me show you how it breaks down. I'm going to walk just for a moment. Here's, here's the command. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk on Be filled with the Spirit. It's a middle reflexive, which means you can't do it yourself. You have to be filled by someone or something else. And the bottom line is we know that we do not fill ourselves with the Spirit, but God has to fill us with His Spirit, which every day we should wake up and say, God, fill me with your presence. Equip me with your spirit. He says, when you are, these four things will be true. You will speak the word to one another, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. You will sing to the Lord and make melody with all your heart. It doesn't have to be in key. Three, you will give thanks to God for everything. Don't you know that when you have difficult things, the only way you can thank God is through the spirit empowering you to do so. Because selfishly, we would not. And then lastly, submitting to one another out of reverence for the Lord. Then he gives these examples that follow in the rest of Ephesians. Wives who submit to husbands, children who obey and honor their parents, slaves who uh, submit to their masters. So all of this, and let me just say this to you. If you ever grew up in a, ch- in a, in a church, or went to D-Now, and you were a teenager especially, and they drilled home, honor and obey your parents as a teenager... And they gave you Ephesians 6, but they never coupled it with Ephesians 5.18, being filled with the Spirit. Then all they did was place on you a heavy burden. You see, before you even know what you're supposed to do as a wife and as a husband and as a child and a parent and as a servant and a master, before you even know what he's calling you to do, he's already telling you, I've got all the power you need to do what I'm calling you to do. And I want to start there. Because our text can be difficult. If we're called just to submit to difficult people and think, I don't have the resources, then you're right. You don't. You do not have the resources in your own. You're just not that kind. You're not that good. You're not that sweet in your own power. You need Christ, and Christ is our only hope. And that's why we want to start here in Ephesians 5, because he's telling you, be filled with my spirit. And when you are, this is what it looks like in your life. Ultimately, then, as we're empowered by his spirit... And the wife follows the leadership of that husband. And then that husband begins to lead sacrificially and wash with the word and to lead for the cause of Christ. Then people are going to be able to see Jesus and the church. Jesus and the church. So let's go back to where we started. When people look at our homes and they look at our marriage, they shouldn't have to guess about the gospel. When those whom we're discipling, those who we know, those who are closest to us, they in particular should not have to guess about the gospel. When we're at home and in the privacy, it shouldn't change what we're called to be as a husband and wife, which gets us to the passage in the sentence that I've put at the top of your notes, that by his grace, we are to be the husbands and wives he calls us to be for the good of our homes, for the advancement of the gospel and for the glory of God. And so by his grace, we are to be the husbands and wives he calls us to be for the good of our homes, for the advancement of the gospel and for the glory of God. I read this week, uh, it said, usually the husband regards himself as the head of the household and the pedestrian has the right of way. And usually both of them are safe until they try to prove it, right? Uh, we were in Oxford this week for swim meet for Adoniram in the middle of the week. And I was testing that theory in the crosswalks there in the square at Oxford. Uh, do I really have the right of way? But they did. They would yield. Uh, they were, it was, it was a good thing. Question is, are preachers safe? 
who begin to tell wives, you need to submit even to disobedient husbands. That's why we go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Because it's one thing to follow a guy who's loving you as Christ loved the church, who's putting your needs and interests above your own. How many of us saw David Langerfield do that for so long in his marriage of putting his wife's needs above his own and faithful to her very last breath? And always, I can't, I can't think of Ephesians 5 without David Langerfield and, and the picture there. I think about uh, a husband who then is washing with the word, a husband who is honoring and cherishing. That's a little bit easier to, to follow as the lead. It doesn't mean that it's completely easy, but it's a little bit easier. But what about following the lead of a guy who doesn't love Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus, who, who obeying the word of God isn't even on his radar? And that's what we're seeing in 1 Peter 3. In 1 Peter 3, going back, very first word in verse 1 says, Likewise, prior to this, with what Kevin covered with you, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 2, says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil. In verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. What a, what a word in our day. What a, a word in every day. There have always been unjust and cruel masters and bosses and employees. And then what an incredible word about Jesus that is in verses 21 and 22 and 23. For, uh, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. For those who continually want Christianity to be absent of suffering, you're not going to find that in the New Testament. And that we are called even to suffer, even injustice, if necessary, uh, for the cause of Christ. And he says in verse 22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Just what we've sung. I love the songs we sang today, didn't you? Just the gospel over and over of what God did when, when we weren't even receptive, when we were dark and dumb to his goodness and greatness. And so he, he talks about all of us being subject to those who are in charge and in particular servants and masters. And then chapter 3, verse 1, he just says, likewise, now he's moving to that next lens, wives be subject to your own husbands. Now, Peter and Paul, I have no idea what Mary said, but Peter and Paul have now combined, to, thanks Susan, have now combined uh, to say the same thing about wives follow the lead to your husband. Wives follow the lead to your husband. And what he's going to go on to say, though, is that so that even if some do not obey the word, and as we've said, submission is already difficult in general, in the best of conditions. But what about when it's to an ungodly or difficult husband? And it gets us to, well, why did these women marry unbelieving husbands? And probably what happened most likely is that these women came to Christ while they were married. And they are following Christ, though their husbands have not. The gospel came into their area, and they responded to the gospel, which gets us to just an important question. For those of you who are not married, should we marry an unbelieving spouse? And the answer to that is no, you should not. Paul says very clearly in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be 
unequally yoked with unbelievers? For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? I used, I always obviously do a lot of youth events and I used to ask how many of you would be interested in digging up a spouse in a graveyard? You know, and it's like, she'd be real quiet. She wouldn't eat a lot, you know? Uh, and they'd be like, gross, that's nasty. You know, and I'd be like, is what Paul is saying to us is those who are spiritually dead cannot connect with those who are spiritually alive in the way that a husband and wife are intended to be in unity of spirit. But what I also want you to see is what Peter is not saying is if you are married to an unbeliever, divorce him. That's not what he's saying either. He, he is saying that if you find yourself in this situation, here's what you do for the sake of the gospel. And so students, I would encourage you, we can develop feelings for anyone and that's why Song of Solomon writes, it says, don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Uh, aim for godly dating, aim for godly marriages. And that comes from dating people who know Jesus and love Jesus and will help us grow in Jesus. Two notes uh, about authority and submission. Uh, and, and so much of this, I gave you, we, I, I've lost track of time, but we, we had uh, several weeks where we did a study on Wednesday nights with youth and adults on biblical manhood and womanhood. And we walked through 1 Peter 3. And so, so much of these notes were, are in there and the resources that are, are so vital for that are listed at the bottom. So I don't claim any uh, means of trying to be original here, just faithful. And if you want to go and do further reading, some great resources to help you with the concepts of biblical manhood and womanhood. But two notes about authority and submission. First, the purpose of authority is to protect and bless those under authority, not just to benefit the one in authority. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He's like, the Gentiles, when they're in authority, they lord it over you. They let you know they're in charge. But then he says a phrase to them. He says, but not so with you. That if you're going to lead, then you're going to do so through that servant leadership, that the first would be last. And then the one who knows all things took off that outer garment and wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the feet of those nasty disciples. And so there's something different about godly leadership and it is for the benefit of those you're entrusted, not just for your benefit and your gain. It should be for the good of those you're called to lead. Second, God never tells husbands to submit to wives in, in a role reversal here. You're going to see that constantly it's wives submit to your husbands, wives submit to your husbands. And it doesn't mean that we uh, can't... Um, it doesn't mean that there's a lack of appreciation. We're actually, I'll give you definitions of what submission is, but it is important that all of these commands are directed to the wife and the role. And so the husband who focuses on his authority, or, or, or let me just say, let me repeat, God never tells husbands to get their wives to submit to them. That's what I wanted to emphasize here. It is not your job as a husband to say, woman, submit. I, I would encourage you, that's not going to go well. It is not... It is not your job to make sure that occurs. It is your job to love like Christ loved the church. And it is the Holy Spirit's job to bring your wife into full obedience to what the word says. Getting then to this, there are two portions. Verses 1 through 6 are to the wives. And verses 7 is to the husbands. And ladies, I would just say, men have to have it simple. Just give me one verse. What is it? What do I need to do? And so... You do not need more verses because you are slower. Don't get men just need one. But all right, one thing to focus. I got it. Okay, seven. All right, so 
Now, ladies uh, have verses 1 through 6. And as we think through the truth here, just wives who submit for the sake of their Savior. That's what we're thinking through. If I'm married or if I'm looking to marriage, am I going to be a, a wife who submits for the sake of the Savior? What does submission not mean? Because we've always seen it distorted. We have seen authority misused since the beginning of authority. We've seen people who use those under them and, and extort and control. So what does submission not mean? Because it's a dirty word even in some evangelical circles and evangelical conversations. And they don't like to, to talk about this word submit. What submission does not mean is following the leadership of every male. Both Paul and Peter say, be subject to your own husbands. So sisters, this isn't a call that you give deference to every man in the world because he's a man. That's not what Paul or Peter are calling you to. They are calling you to a very specific leadership following principle. And it's to your husband, to your husband. So this isn't about men rule, women don't. That is not the word there from Peter and Paul. So don't misunderstand that. So it's not, it doesn't mean following the leadership of every male. Believe me, uh, there are some bros I don't want to follow, right? And so we know that. Number two, submission does not mean putting a husband in the place of Christ. Matter of fact, you're submitting because of Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 5 that our submission is to the Lord. And we're doing this because we know just as children are told to obey and honor their parents for this is right, uh, exactly as the Lord planned it. We see in our text here that this gentle spirit following through in submission at the end of verse 4 is something that's very precious in the sight of God. And so submission doesn't mean putting our husband in the place of Christ. I assure you, he will not save you. And he cannot and will not. Uh, ultimately, our submission is to the Lord. Number three, submission does not mean giving up independent thought. How do you know that? Because Peter is writing to the women right here. He's writing, talking to them. He's not writing, men, tell this to your lady folk. He's not, he knows they're capable of thinking for themselves and processing. So he's writing directly to them. He knows some wives have husbands who are not in Christ. And he knows that they need to think for themselves. And what they need to think is what God says. And here's what God wants you to do. Number four, submission does not mean a wife should give up efforts to influence and guide her husband. Matter of fact, if we read the rest of verse one, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So submission doesn't mean you can't think for yourself, and it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to influence your husband. He is actually calling them to influence their husbands for the sake of the gospel, and that doesn't change no matter the spiritual condition of your husband. Ladies, you should always be seeking to influence your husband for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Christ. A Christian wife should live with a difficult husband so that he's attracted to Christ by her behavior. And, and the end here is not just that uh, share the gospel and when necessary or if necessary use words. Uh, but the point is her practice will do some things that her preaching may not do. Especially if her preaching is just words. And she's just preaching but she's, she's talking about Jesus but she's never displaying Jesus in the home. He says look display Jesus. And then of course we all know we have to use words to clearly explain the gospel. Number five, submission doesn't mean a wife should give in to every demand of her husband. Our obedience is always for the Lord's sake. Go back to, to verse 13 in chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake. In Ephesians 5, that we are subject as unto the Lord. Wives, if your husband wants to lead you to sin, we do not follow a husband to sin. 
That's not following them, giving in to all their demands. That's not what we're called to do. Our obedience is for Christ's sake. And if it's something that's going to go against Christ, then we cannot obey that. The hope is that if we've followed in all these other areas, it gives us an opportunity to say, I've followed your leadership in all these ways, but ultimately I have to follow Christ. And this is what he says in that place. Submission is not based on lesser intelligence or competence. But if you're married, you already know that, right? So men are not called to lead just because we have superior mental and administrative capabilities. That's not why this is happening. Uh, Number seven, submission does not mean being fearful or timid. Matter of fact, the very last phrases, the very last phrases in, in verse six, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, we should never be anxious or fearful when obeying the Lord. And we should never fear man more than we fear God. So Peter's saying, look, if you're these kinds of wives, you don't have to be afraid. You shouldn't have to fear anything. You're obeying, you're doing the plan that the Lord has. You don't need to be fearful for anything. And then number eight, submission is not inconsistent with equality in Christ. That We're going to see that he's going to tell the men later in verse seven that they are heirs with you or co-heirs of the grace of life. A husband and a wife are both equally made in the image of God. And so the ways that are most important, of eternal importance and significant, we are equal in those regards. And so submission is not inconsistent with equality in Christ. And we'll, we'll see this later. And so this thought of in, you know, independent thought, influencing the husband. Again, biblical manhood is not domination. I never say to Tara, woman, get in the car, we're going to Taco Bell, right? I never say to her, when we get in the car, we're going to a movie, one I want to see, right? I don't say that because I don't want to be divorced. And so what I generally say is, hey, babe, I'm hungry. What do you want to eat, right? Hey, babe, I want to go to the movies. What movie do you want to see? And that's receiving. We're going to talk about being an understanding husband involves input from a godly wife. Why would you not want input from a godly wife? Ultimately, God will hold you accountable as the man to make a decision for your family but you would be foolish not to take counsel and wisdom from a wife who loves Jesus and is walking in Jesus. So sisters in the room, submission is not about you being unequal or not smart or not able to be a leader or any of those things. What is it then? Here's what submission is. Submission is the decision. That's an important word. Submission is the decision to willingly yield to and obey the authority of another to please the Lord. That's what submission is. Do I want to do this? Well, for the purposes of honoring your father and mother, attitude is crucial. And in the same way, our attitude is important when it comes to submission. The word behind this is actually a military term, meaning to place and rank under someone. And of course, we can all do that. How many of you, I won't make you raise your hands, but... When you give an assignment for a child and then they stomp their feet, fine, I'll do it. Don't you feel so cherished and honored, right? And I say it to students all the time, you know, if you, hey, get the dishes out of the dishwasher, great, you know. How we do it matters just as much as what we do. With the Lord, both our actions and our attitudes are important. So submission is the decision to not just obey or follow through with this leadership, but to do so with our attitudes as well. I'm going to follow this because ultimately I'm going to follow the Lord's plan. 
a source of many problems in marriages is when the wife seeks to control the husband to meet her perceived needs and the husband is seeking to control the wife for his perceived needs. And it's a consequence of Genesis 3. If I were to take you back to Genesis 3, one of the consequences of the fall is that the fall changed how man relates to creation, how man relates to God, and how men and women relate to each other. God tells Eve that her desire is going to be for her husband. And that sounds sweet. Of, oh, I really want him. Except for he uses that phrase in the very next chapter to warn uh, their son that sin is crouching at his door desiring him wanting to dominate and to rule and so in Genesis 3 when it says your desire will be, it would be ladies part of the consequence of the fall is you want to lead you want to, to be the head spot you, you want to take charge and run with it and the other part is the husband isn't going to want you to do that and then there, there, there's going to be uh, two extremes of that uh, a husband who dominates and the other is a husband who's extremely passive and doesn't assume his responsibilities. Those are the extremes and both are wrong and it's constantly colliding. But the biblical pattern is for the wife to yield control to the husband and to do all she can to help and make him grow in Jesus. And then the husband is not to dominate but to do all he can to bless and protect his wife and help her grow in Jesus. Now let me give you a, an important word. You cannot wait for your partner to do their part before you do your part. That's not what God's calling you to do. He's calling you to do your part because your husband or your wife may never do their part. That's ultimately not on you. That will be on them. But you are called to do your role no matter where they are in this stage of things. If you're waiting on them to catch up, they may never catch up. And so you be faithful. What else is submission? Well, it's an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of the husband. So let's move on here in the text. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. I will say, because we know there are some denominations that take this and even see it as sinful if you do these things. That is not what Peter is saying. Makeup is okay, ladies. Be free. I grew up going to Merle Norman in my hometown, my mama. And, uh, and so it is okay. What he's saying is don't let that be your only focus. Don't let that be the only focus, right? And so he goes on to say, but let, in verse 4, let the, your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. I know a lot of extroverted sisters that hate this verse because they'll say, I'm not real gentle and quiet. You know, I'm loud and boisterous. It doesn't mean there aren't some things that we could take from this verse, but he's not just saying that you all have to be church mice, sweet, quiet, you know, and let your husband stomp on you. That's not what he's saying here. So let's look at some of the words when he, when he says that your conduct would be respectful and pure. First of all, it is tough to lead people to Jesus if we're not living for Jesus. So what he's saying there is that, that word for pure is the idea of holiness, that we're, we're living Christ. That's what he's calling them to. Hey, if your husband is not a believer, let him see Jesus in you. That's what he's saying. And the way they see Jesus is you display Jesus. You, you do what he says in his word. You follow that. And what helps fuel that is your focus is not just on what's external. I would just ask, you know, over the past week, 
would you say you gave more thought on presenting yourselves to the world or to the Lord? What, what took more energy and what took more time in our days and our, our weeks? And, and so he says, look, don't just focus on the outside because you can be pretty on the outside but real ugly on the inside. And ugly is what's going to come out in the heat of the moment. And so what you have to do is go to Christ so that you are developing this hidden person of the heart, this imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit. Gentleness just means a meekness like Christ. Christ says the meek will inherit the earth, but it's not a demanding of its own way. We already know that for all of us, love does not demand its own way from 1 Corinthians 5, that, that there's a... Uh, not pushy or self-assertive. The bottom line is we should all already be putting the needs and interests of others above our own. And that's the idea of what gentleness is. It's not demanding, it's my way or the highway in this house sort of thing. And then the, the calmness or the quiet spirit is really the, you know, the, the eye of the hurricane, that calmness in the middle of the storm that's all around. It doesn't mean that you, you can't be who God has made you to be, but but there is a, a peace that comes from Christ that is evident in you. That the peace of Christ would be evident in you is the picture that's there. And so in living in this way, there's a beauty that draws people to Christ as they see this. That only comes from the Spirit using the Word in your life. That only comes from you sisters going to Jesus every day and saying, produce your character in and through me. That's the bottom line of what that is. Give me every grace to live your word. That's what it is. And so this is what we're called to do. So I hope that you're not so focused on fooling all of us with your social media accounts and external facade that your inside has nothing. That there's nothing of Christ to, to come out. The hope is that we're growing in Christ, we're going to Christ, and Christ is being revealed. He's, he then says, hey, you're not the first generation to be called to this. Let you know. You know, when we all suffer, we want company, don't we? We want to know we're the only ones that aren't suffering. Peter's going to get to that because sometimes we act like, we're, no, we are the only one that's ever had this, this bad, all right? And the reality is, no, you're not. You are not the only ones that have ever been called to follow numbskulls, all right? You're not the only ones that have been ever, ever called to do this. He, he says in verse 5, for, he's explaining, so you should circle that, for, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. This is how it's always been. And it says, by submitting to their own husbands, that they were following the lead. Those who love Jesus were following the lead of their husband. And then he gives an example. Say, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. So submission involves obedience like Sarah's. The bottom line is we actually don't know where she specifically called him Lord. We do know that there are moments where Abraham wasn't present and she spoke with respect of Abraham and that's probably the picture that Peter is is pulling there I read a bad Paul Paul joke that said of and Tara calls my jokes Paul Paul jokes you know the ones that aren't really funny just to Paul Paul's and uh, and so uh, a woman got in bed and said Lord my back's hurting and her husband said honey when we're at home you can just call me Jim you know so see bad joke from this text but we don't know of, of and, and please, husbands, if you go home and say, Sarah called Abraham, Lord, you will be in my office Monday for counseling. I know that. So don't, let's not be 
literalist, literalist at this point. The essence is she's following his lead. And why does that matter? Because Abraham was not always a good leader. Abraham was not a good leader all the time. But yet there she is and she's following, ultimately trusting God. Ultimately trusting God. And she says, so obedience, it's like Sarah's. Don't think of it as nailing it every time of, well, she follows Abraham. Abraham didn't always make the right decisions. We know that. There are consequences still in our world today. And matter of fact, every time that Peter says, if you do what's right, uh, it's always in the context of someone else doing wrong toward us. So that our reaction isn't based on what they do to us, but what we're called to do in Christ. Submission acknowledges also that uh, an authority is not totally mutual. And so uh, this is where we get to the understanding that ultimately our husbands may make some decisions for the sake of our family. Now the foolish husband does that without counsel and says this is just what we're going to do. But ultimately the authority is not totally mutual that's there. A wife's attitude of submission to her husband's authority will be reflected in numerous words and actions each day that reflect deference to his leadership and acknowledgement of his final responsibility after discussion whenever possible to make decisions affecting the whole family. There are rewards for this. As we know, there, there are always rewards that come from obedience to the Lord. The first one is back in verse 1. The hope is that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one. That they may be one. The hope is that the way you are as a wife will, if you're in that situation with an unbelieving spouse, that he would be drawn to Christ. The hope is that if it's not your spouse, that others who see the way you are in that home, that they could be one to Christ as well. So there are rewards of submission. Uh, second is that you will be a daughter of Sarah. And I would say this isn't earning, it's evidencing that you're, you're in this lineage of godly women who've been doing these things. It will be revealed as you walk through this. And then the end of verse 4, which in God's sight is very precious, which in God's sight is very precious, this adorning of the inside is very precious to God and there is joy that comes from obedience to God in everything that we do. So there is a beauty of submission and in our age it's important because the world is, is railing against this. It's railing against this thought but yet there's an attractiveness somehow if a wife follows this that it could lead her husband to Christ. There's something that says this is good and right as God has set it up. And then I think I listed there for you, specifically within marriage, the beauty of a wife's submission to her husband is evident to unbelievers who are attracted to Christ through it, to believing husbands and to other people generally, the Christian wife herself, for it's not accompanied by fear, but by reverence, purity, moral uprightness, quietness of spirit, and hope in God. Who doesn't need more of that in their life? And then lastly, God, for the gentle and quiet spirit that accompanies this submission in God's sight is of great worth or very precious to him. So that's the word there, ladies. No problem. I'm sure it's going well. On to the men now. Men, understanding husbands are those who honor their wives and who can pray freely. Here's what verse 7 says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What understanding leadership then is not? Number one, understanding leadership does not mean harsh or domineering use of authority. Let me say a word to you, ladies. If any of you are in an abusive situation, that always needs to be reported. 
And if it is physically abusive, you need to call the police. We have laws. We've already been told to be subject to our authorities, and our authorities have good laws that are for our protection that you need to report that. If it is a, a verbal abuse, if there are other issues, you, you need to share that with our elders that we would come alongside you and help you because godly leadership is not about the domineering use of authority. Uh, Peter's telling husbands to use their authority for good. Do you know what I love in Ephesians 5? After Paul says that the husband is the head, then in all that follows for the husbands after that, he never says authority, authority, authority. He says three times though, love, love, love. That the man is to demonstrate that authority in a way that Christ demonstrates. And so our home shouldn't be filled with just domineering use of authority. Number two, understanding leadership does not imply equal sharing of leadership in the family. Again, this isn't where men, you abdicate your responsibility and you just say, well, we're co-equal in this. No, you have primary responsibility. You have primary responsibility and that's not interchangeable. Number three, understanding leadership does not imply lesser importance for a wife. She is equally important, and you should never treat her as if she's not. So understanding leadership doesn't mean that she's not as important in that home as you are, that you're the key, key star. My guess is everyone already knows uh, that may not be the case. Number four, understanding leadership does not mean always giving in to a wife's wishes. This is important. It does not always mean giving in to a wife's wishes. Husbands must never allow love for their wives to become an excuse for sin either. Just as wives, I wouldn't follow a man if he's leading me to sin. Fellas, we cannot let our love for them excuse sin in their lives, nor should we lead them to sin. But we don't always give in to our wife's wishes. If parents did that with their children, if I did that with my children, my children would have what we call summer teeth. All right? My children would eat Lucky Charms at every meal. They would eat whatever sugar syrup at every meal, and then they would all have what we call summer teeth. Summer teeth were here, summer teeth were there, and the rest are all gone because sugar has gotten the rest of the teeth. Right? And so um, I do not let them eat all the sugar cereals because I'm uncool or I don't love them. I love them. In the same way, a husband doesn't always give in to a wife's wishes. Occasionally, I do get to pick the restaurant. Occasionally. One out of 20. So, number five... Understanding leadership is not optional for husbands. So you can't opt out of this. You can disobey this, but you can't opt out of it. This is the role that God has called you to. What then is understanding leadership? It's several things, and I've listed them for you. Living according to the knowledge of God's purposes and principles for marriage. That's why I showed you Ephesians 5. I want you to see that 1 Peter 3 is not a fluke. It's not just this random asterisk. God has been saying the same thing about homes since he created the home. And this is the role. He did the same thing by giving Adam instruction and responsibilities, by creating Adam first and giving him primary responsibility. But we also need knowledge of our wife's desires, goals, and frustrations, her strengths and weaknesses in the physical, emotional, and spiritual realms. This is what understanding leadership looks like. So we live in knowledge of what God's word is, and we also know our wives very well, their goals and frustrations, strengths and weaknesses, right? Understanding your wife, Stephen Cole has said, uh, given us a helpful list here. Understanding your wife involves developing and maintaining togetherness in your marriage. You're not going to know someone very well if you don't spend time with them. If you don't pursue them, you're not going to know them very well. And we're to honor and understand them, ultimately, so that our prayers are not hindered 
A husband is to promote a spirit of emotional, spiritual, and physical closeness that's only possible in the commitment of marriage. And Peter puts this responsibility squarely on the husband. Initiate, lead, follow through, pursue. And one way to develop and maintain togetherness is to do things together. Here's how concerned God is about this. He says at the very end of this verse that you should do these things so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's what I love about God. He cares so much about your marriage. He's not going to let you come to him and pretend like everything is okay with you and him when everything is not okay with you and mama. He's going to stop. He's going to hinder. It's like, this is important. This relationship matters. And so living in an understanding way involves maintaining and growing in that relationship. Involves knowing your wife well and knowing God and his truth well. And then this will be a benefit. I don't know any woman who doesn't want to follow a man who loves Jesus and loves her. And demonstrates that and shows that over and over. A husband who lives with this knowledge and acts on it will enrich their marriage. What does it mean to honor as the weaker vessel? There are some advantages that men have. It doesn't mean that there aren't strong women. It doesn't mean that women shouldn't be in the Marines. It doesn't mean any of these things. What, but there are some ways that men and women are different. Even sitting at the swim meet yesterday. It doesn't mean that women can't swim fast. But there always seem to be some men that swim just a little faster than the, the women. Because our bodies being made in different ways. And and different pers- uh, purposes. So what does it mean to, to honor her as the weaker vessel? Well, it includes kind and aff- affirming words, both in private and in public, that you would build her up. Uh, it means the highest human priority and allocation of resources. That the next to Jesus, she's most precious to you. And you reflect that in the allocation of all your resources, time, money. Tara's love language is time. And it's one of the most difficult things for me to, to demonstrate. I need to do that with feeling torn with ministry and things that are there if, if I don't make it a priority. And I stink at it. I really do. She is best at saying we're going to do vacation here because otherwise I would not do it. I would not stop and do it. And so I need to do that. I need to make her the highest priority there in the way. And, and this is what I also want to say. It is easy to love people in the way that's easiest for us. That may not be the way they respond best. Loving your spouse is about loving them in the way that they respond to most, not in the way that is easiest and most convenient for you. That's living with them in an understanding way. And then it is your job to make sure that if you have any creatures that are called children in your house, that they honor their mother, right? And that if they don't, you make sure they learn to honor their mother and not repeat that mistake again, right? It's a lesson they need to learn over and over, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. And so that we help by displaying that. Like Proverbs 31, we should join the husband of the virtuous woman in singing her praises. That We do that. Why should we follow through and be these kinds of husbands? Well, first of all, our differences, they are the weaker person. And so we've, we've got to have regard for that and care and, and lead the weaker vessel that's there. But most importantly, our similarities, that they are heirs with you, is what it says there in verse 7. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are our sisters in Christ. And so we should always lead for the good of our sisters. And then there are rewards that come from this. 
Lastly, so that your prayers may not be hindered. When you follow through and you're this kind of husband, your prayers will be helped, not hindered. Grudem says, no Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. So do not think that you can do good over the long haul without Jesus or without asking for Jesus' help. And then he goes on to say, and no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way bestowing honor. So you need your prayers to be heard by the Lord. And in order for your prayers to be heard, you, you need to be honoring and taking care of your wife. And so that's why Grudem then summarizes, I think it's there in your notes, to take the time to maintain a good marriage is God's will. It is serving God. It is a spiritual activity pleasing in his sight. So more than mission trips, more than leading life groups, it is a spiritual activity to make sure you are following through in these roles in your home. It is good. It is pleasing to him. There are consequences, obviously, if we don't follow through in these roles, and that's what we've seen so often in so many home, of our homes, uh, the consequences of not lining our home up with God's word. But the word I want to close with, why should we be this kind of husband and this kind of wife above all? Number one, this is God's will for you. How do I know that? Because I just read it right here in the Bible. And you don't even have to pray about it. Well, what does God want with our home? I just read it to you. This is what God wants in your home. So you have to determine, is what's important to God important to me? That this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to line my home up with his word. Number two, second reason you should be these wives and husbands is because where we began with Ephesians 5.18, you have all you need in Christ to be these wives and husbands. Jesus isn't asking you to submit in your own strength. He knows you can't. Matter of fact, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Husbands, he's not asking you to, to honor in your own strength. He knows that you probably won't do that. In the, without him, we could never fulfill these roles. But we have in Christ all the resources we need. So I'm begging you, for the sake of your homes, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel, and for the glory of God, by his grace, be these kinds of wives and husbands. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Sorry for uh, how often we fail. And, and really, often our failing is not because we don't know better. Maybe for some, it's the first time they've encountered this text or first time they've seen Ephesians 5. But for many of us, it's not. So the question is, when will we just stop reading about it and, and it become true in our home? I pray for wives who are having difficulty following their husbands, especially even here in our midst, that you would grant every grace they need, that ultimately their submission would be to you above all. I pray for husbands that would not be selfish, that would not dominate, but that would love like Christ, loved the church and gave himself up, that there is sacrificial love, that there's sanctifying love. It says that he washes the church with the word. Please help us as husbands to wash our wives with the word. And I'm sorry for how often I failed to do so. Father, I pray that you would help us to live First Peter 3, that we, that we don't go out of here and just glad this text is behind us now. But for what we said, for the good of our homes, for the sake of the gospel, for your glory, 
that by your grace we would strive to live and be these wives and husbands. And that it would provide for those we're discipling examples. So many need. That you would use it beyond what we could even ask or imagine here today. Perhaps in our life groups tonight, our wives need to be transparent and honest and share. Our husbands need to be transparent, honest and share. May they find brothers and sisters who will love them and pray with them. May they find accountability. But what we won't be able to plead anymore is ignorance and say we didn't know this. We do. It's here in your word. And we can't plead that we lack the resources. We don't. If we have Christ and we are filled with his spirit, then we have what we need to be these wives and these husbands. So I pray, use your spirit and your word in our lives to help us not just learn this text, but to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and let's sing songs of truth. Amen.